chemistry is, well, technically, chemistry is the study of matter. But I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now, just, just think about this. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution, dissolution, just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. It is fascinating, really. transformation really is fascinating and I have to be honest with you uh, I've had a sore throat all week this week and it has transformed my voice a little bit uh, and then on top of that my daughter played five volleyball six volleyball games from Thursday night until Saturday at two and I'm not a quiet dad uh, at the volleyball games as you might imagine and so that's been changing my voice a little bit and then on top of that in kind of a misty night last night I decided to go to the Kentucky football game and if you were watching on TV I was leading the course of booze in the <laughs> during the game uh, so if I sound like Peter Brady a little bit today uh, you'll understand why but just hang in there with me uh, my wife didn't get to come today some of you are saying when are we going to meet your wife my wife's planning on being here probably in the first or second week in November. That's kind of when life's going to settle down to where she can come up here and be with us. Uh, my wife is a wonderful woman. Some of you said, we're so sorry you sh you're taking, we're taking you away from her. And, and I, I think she's sorry uh, a little bit. Uh, but no, she really is. She is the better part of our marriage. She is a wonderful, wonderful Christian lady. She's so faithful. She's so loving. She's such a wonderful mother to our kids. And, and, and it, God knows what he's doing when he puts you together with somebody. He just does. I mean, my wife is, is so this way, and sometimes I, you know, high-energy people can sometimes do this a little bit, and she's so level and calming, and I like to talk, and she pretends to listen. So, I mean, it really works out in our marriage. You know, it's just she's really a, a blessing from God, and she's really quiet, my wife is. But you know, guys, if you're married to a quiet wife, the quiet ones are the sneaky ones right? You know, my, my, my wife was kind of resistant to uh, technology, and so when we all started getting our smartphones, she thought, I don't need that. You know, my daughter's turned 14 or so, and it was time for them to kind of move up in the technological world, and so one of them gets a smartphone, and then if you have two daughters, you know that you end up giving in way too early to the second one, and so we, they both end up having their smartphone, and I have mine, and my wife was cool enough rocking the flip phone. You know, she was fine with that, but then one day, <clears throat> uh, she finally, her, her flip phone died, and she needed something else, and we talked her into it and said, you know, honey, you'll really like this if you get it. And so she did. She got a phone where she could check her emails. She could read her books. She'd get on the internet and surf things. She just she en enjoyed it. But one night we're all sitting around kind of having family time around the TV, you know, and uh, we're, we're sitting there and, and all of a sudden I hear songs from the 80s starting to play on her phone. I thought, what is that? And she said, did you know? Of course, you know, she's a little behind on this stuff. She said, did you know that I can put songs people's rings 
So when they call in, their ringtone will be a certain song. And I know who it is before I even have to look at my phone. And so I'm listening to these songs, and you know what I'm thinking. Lord, I wonder what she did for, for me. So we're all sitting there on the couch, and I, I kind of pull my phone out of my pocket, and I dial her number, and this is what I heard. Don't know who that is? That's this guy! Could not believe that, that she would put this guy on my ringtone. Now I just kind of laughed. <laughs> yeah, honey, you're, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you know, but I was hurt a little bit. I'm like, wow, that's no good. So about three weeks later, she, when she left her phone in her pocket and accidentally washed it in the washing machine, there was a part of me that was glad. That's what you get. <laughs> but then I got to feeling guilty, and I thought, you know, she liked her phone a whole lot. And so I, we, we got her another phone. And, of course, you know what I have to do after about two or three weeks. We're all sitting around, and I think, I wonder what she put as my ringtone again. And so I pull it out while she's around, and I hit my phone, and this is what comes on. Y'all know who this is? Anybody? I mean, woo, yeah. yeah. I was like, now that's what I'm talking about. Now, tr- truthfully, she might have overdone it just a little bit. <laughs> but, but, but let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like those two people live within you? I mean, really? You know, you, you wake up in the morning, and you're going to be Superman, and you're going to follow the Lord, and you're going to treat people well, and you're going to get a lot done. And, you're, and then somewhere along the way, maybe it's that idiot in front of you, or maybe it's that boss who's looking over your shoulder, or maybe it's a relationship gone sour, or a, and all of a sudden, that other guy starts showing up inside of you. You know, I, in the last couple of years, God has been dealing with me a lot on the fact that it is not okay for our churches to be filled with people who are just showing their Superman for one hour on Sundays. God wants to change our entire life, and He wants us to live in victory. Now, I... I I want to preface what I'm going to say this morning with some notes. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to get this because I don't want you to be confused at all. At the moment you receive Jesus, at that very moment, your sins are forgiven. When you choose to follow him, first thing that happens, your sins are forgiven. Uh, All the wrong that you've ever done, all the hatred, all the lying, all the greed, all the jealousy, it's completely wiped away, and we're immediately forgiven in Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10 that all the prophets testify about him. Everybody has testified him up to the the point that he arrives, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And not only that, our home in heaven is secured. Uh, the Bible teaches that, that when we believe, we are given the Holy Spirit, and he's like a deposit guaranteeing our home in heaven. Listen to what the Scripture says. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When you heard the word of truth, that's past tense, isn't it? When you heard the, the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and, and I would add, when you believed, got that? Past tense. When you believed in him, you were sealed. You, you see that? 
past tense, past tense, past At a moment, at a specific moment, when you trusted, when you believed, when you received the Holy Spirit, at that moment, listen to what it says in the next verse. It says in verse 14, he became the guarantee of your inheritance. God has promised. You received him, you have a home in heaven. But then as we're talking about in this series, at the moment that you receive him and you trust Christ, your sins are forgiven, you have a home in heaven, but then a third thing happens. A change process starts in your life. Last week, our verse, does anybody remember our verse? Let me see. This is a dangerous thing for a preacher to do. Does anybody remember the verse? What, what book of the Bible was it found in last week? Anybody? I'm going back to Lexington. Y'all going to have to pay attention or I am wasting my time, all right? Anybody, what book of the Bible was it in? Anybody? Romans, thank you. Praise the Lord. Look at your Bible. Cheat. I don't care. Make me feel better. Romans chapter 8. 29, for those he foreknew, he predestined. He, this is what he had an outline of your life that he wanted it to look like, that you would be conformed to the image of his son. You see, at the moment you got saved, God said, I'm going to start this process in your life, and I'm going to start making you look less like you and more like my son. I want you to be conformed to this new image, the image that you were created in the image of Jesus. And at the moment we believe, this process begins. Now, if you've never started this process, there's absolutely nothing I can say more important than this. Today, you need to repent of your sins and give your heart and your life to Christ. He died on the cross to save you because you cannot save yourself. He wants to give you a home in heaven. He wants to forgive you. He doesn't want you to live in guilt. He wants you to live in peace. He wants you to be free. He wants all of those things for your life. That's what God wants for you. And today, here's what you need to hear. Today, you need to repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. That's what you need to do today. He loves you, uh, and he wants you to do that. But for, I'm going to guess, a majority of the people here today, most of you have started this process. Most of you know you're going to heaven. Most of you are confident that, that you are forgiven. But here's the question. Are you changing? And then what we talk, has the process had any impact on the way that you, way you look? One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of James. Uh, we'll probably, if the Lord keeps me here for four or five months, we'll probably spend a few weeks in the book of James. Uh, but one, one, of, uh, one of the things that you notice when you read the book of James is James is not satisfied with life that doesn't look like Jesus. And if I were to summarize the book of James with just one quick statement, it would be this. Real faith changes us. If you have real faith... It changes you. Not just the Sunday you put on your nice clothes, act like you're doing well you. I'm talking about the factory you. The you when it's just you and your family you. The you when you're driving in traffic you. The you when it's just you and the computer you. Real faith changes you. Real faith is to change, James says, the way we speak to one another. Real faith changes the way we treat the poor and the rich. Real faith changes the way that we handle our business, and conduct ourselves uh, in the church. Real faith changes every bit of us. Uh, but here's the, 
here's the question. I think we all know that our faith is supposed to change us, but have you ever wondered why we still want to sin? See, did you notice the way I phrased that? We want to sin. We hate it, but then there's this other part of us that loves it. We detest the way it makes us feel, and at the same time, we long for the feelings that it creates. Have you ever wondered why there's this tension inside of us? If God has started this change process in me, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, why do I still sometimes long for that old, ugly me? Why does that other guy sometimes still show up? That's a good question, isn't it? And some of you have been in church so long that you've started to just say, well, that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is, and it's never going to get better, and I'm never going to change, and so I'm going to come and pretend on Sundays like I am, and I'm going to go home and live like I can't. Is that what God wants? For this to be a charade? Or does God want to really bring about this change process in us and then, can he? Now, we're going to get into the book of James, chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along today. Okay, I'm going to give them to you on the screen. But you're supposed to be skeptical because you're Baptist. Okay, that is, you know, the way it is. And I want you to follow along today. Uh, but before we get into James, uh, chapter 1, uh, I want to make sure, uh, James, chapter 4, verse 1, I want to make sure that you understand this dilemma that's going on. I called it Darth Vader and Superman, but the Bible calls it something else. It talks about our nature. You see, before you were saved, you had one nature, and that is uh, what the Bible calls your flesh or your carnal nature or your worldly nature. That is against God. Uh, you might not be as bad as you can be. You might not be Hitler or uh, uh, Charlie Manson, but you are against God. And you might cloak that against God in your religiosity. You might cloak that against God by being a good neighbor and everybody thinks you're great, but you're proud and you're against God. Everybody, before they're saved, has this one nature, and it turns them against God's control of their life. If you get saved... Once you die, you are going to have one nature. And that is a godly nature. Remember we talked a few weeks ago, I think about this, but in the twinkling of an eye we shall all be changed. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall all be changed. We will have one nature. It will be, yes, Lord, yes. Whatever you want, Lord, I will do. I am yours. That will happen. So before we're saved, we have one nature. After we, save, we, we, uh, after we die, we have one nature. But it's the in-between time that we're going to talk about today. Right now, we have two natures. And those two natures are at war with one another. They, they are constantly battling each other. Now, I've tried to explain this several times, but I, I, I thought some cartoons I ran across explain it better than anything else I can. So we're going to weave these cartoons through James chapter 4. Here's the first cartoon. This is you, okay? This is uh, a man created in God's image, and he's good. 
Uh, and ladies, I'm sorry you have to identify with this little fellow, but just play along, okay? This is you. And I, I'm not exactly sure why he didn't have a shirt on, but we'll just go with it for right now, okay? This is our flesh, okay? You know, kind of a job of the hut meets a WWE wrestler type of guy, you know? And, and the, the Bible describes this carnal flesh, sinful desires that are in our heart. And again, it's not our body, the flesh. It's not something that's outside of us, but something that's inside of us. It's the cravings of our heart to disobey God. Now, before Jesus saves us, we all look like this next picture. We're all in chains to our flesh. Our flesh drives us. That's that one nature that we have. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we are slaves to sin. Once you were slaves to sin... But, but, but something changes when we give our heart to Jesus. And when we trust in Jesus, here's what happens. Jesus sets us free from our chains. We are, we are delivered. Now, here's where, here's where we're learning today. Next picture. That guy's still around, though. We're not in chains, but he's ever-present in our life. You see, until... In the twinkling of an eye, we are all completely changed. In the meantime, that guy is still there. Our flesh doesn't disappear. We're not in chains, but it's still a reality. But until we go to heaven, we're going to live with this presence and this influence. Now, it's not a stalemate. The Bible says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The Bible says that, that, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, but he's there. And we've got to acknowledge that he's there. Now, the reality of the flesh still being near us is what we're going to deal with quickly today in James chapter 4. So here, here we go. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What is it that causes... Now, you know, when I read this, y'all know this is written to church people. Okay? And he's talking about in the church, what causes quarrels and fights. And when I read this, I can't even envision a church fighting. I mean, that's almost impossible to even think that that can happen, right? I mean, you know, what, what causes those of us who've been set free, who say we love the cross, who say that Jesus is better, or better is one day in your courts, better is, what could possibly cause those folks to say, I don't like that guy. I don't like that lady. What, what could do that? Well, I think we already know what causes this. Listen to what he says in the next part of that verse. Is it not the passions that are at war within you? Isn't it that craving? Isn't it that Darth Vader guy? Or, you know, Catwoman? Or whatever it is inside that evil whatever inside of you? Isn't it that... Was she a bad guy or a good guy? She is bad? I thought she was. I never was into that kind of stuff. But anyhow, isn't that... You know, Star Wars is more my alley. But anyhow, uh, it, it's the cravings, the flesh, the passions, the desires. Then we get into verse 2. He says, you desire, but you don't have. You covet, and you can't obtain. You don't get what you want because you have these wants that aren't godly. They're not for other people. And so you fight, and you quarrel. And then he says that you don't have because you don't ask. Now, I want to say, last week I told you one of the most misunderstood verses in the New Testament was Romans eight twenty eight that we know all things work together for good. Some people claim that, like I'm going to get a new jet plane or something like that. You know, misunderstood verse. This might be number two. 
You know, you don't have because you don't ask. Well, the reason you don't have the jet plane is because you haven't asked or you hadn't sown your seed or you haven't done what you need to do. And that, that's not what he's... Uh, read on what he says here. He, he's teaching. You, you have these wars and these fights and, and you don't even ask God to help you. You hate the warring and the fighting, but you don't get on your knees and say, God, what do you want? God, what would you have? And then it says, even when you do get on your knees about these wars and fights that are going on, listen to what he says in the very next verse. He says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. God, get them. God, show them. God, punish them. Instead of God, teach me, show me, lead me. He says, you just have this going on, and it's greedy and selfish. Now, the Bible teaches that we're not to give in to these passions and desires. Here's what the Bible teaches we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fight off that evil desire that's in us. We're to resist the devil that attacks us. We can't live at peace with the flesh. We're to attack it and deny it and kill it. But the people in James' day, are, they weren't even trying. Verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know? Now, what does it mean to be a friend with the world? Now, this gets confusing. I mean, it does. Because you know, some, folks, some folks would say, a friend of the world never laughs at a joke. They, they're frown all the time. You know, I mean... Christian people frown. They can't laugh at a joke, you know. And, or a friend of the world, they can't wear trendy stuff. Or a friend of the world is somebody who wears trendy stuff, you know. Or a friend of the world is somebody who listens to certain types of music. Now, don't hear me wrong. There are jokes that we shouldn't be laughing at. And there's a modesty principle that we should all live by. And, and, and there are absolutely, you know, some, some things and places that we shouldn't go. I mean, honestly, as God's people. Uh, but you know, every time I hear somebody talk about the friend of the world, my mind goes back to when I was growing up and would hear revival preachers come in. You know, revival preachers would come in, and it was almost like in the revival playbook, I guess, uh, if you're an evangelist, that you had to preach on being a friend of the world. That's what's wrong with the church today is everybody's friends of the world. And that meant you either liked Elvis, the Beatles, or the Rolling Stones, depending on what age the revivalist was. You know? And, and you know what would happen is people would just start checking out. And they wouldn't apply a principle from Scripture. Instead of us making a list of rules, because, you know, when something says wet paint, you know what we all want to do? We all want to touch it to see. Instead of say, saying, don't do this, don't do that, I think a better way would be to ask ourselves, what is a friend of the world, and just make a principle. Here's the principle. Friendship with the world is desiring to be like people who don't love God. Now, let's think about this. If I were to ask you, do you love Jesus? Let's take church out of the equation. Let's take preachers out of the equation. Let's take deacons, leaders, Sunday, whoever out of the equation that has tarnished some image in your mind. If I were to ask you, do you love Jesus? Most people here would say, man, he's beautiful. He loves sinners. He sacrificed for me. No, he, he, he was kind. Most of us would say that. He was good. If you love Jesus and love God, then why would you want to be like people who hate him? 
Isn't that a better way to think about this verse? You know, why would I want to have Tiger Woods' fame when Tiger Woods doesn't believe in Christ at all? You know? Why would I want to be like dress like well or not dress like Miley when when her 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 speech says that she's not sure Jesus is the only way to heaven but why would I want to be like people who don't love God see that doesn't make sense to me and instead of us making rules and say, you can't, you can't, you can't, you don't wet paint, why don't we just say, man, I want to I be like people who really love Jesus. I, I want to be a friend of God. But instead, when we, when we live in our flesh and when we let that guy push us around, we're acting like people who don't love God at all. And the problem is, when we want the things of the world and we make friends with the flesh, here's what we're doing. We're feeding that guy. And, 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 and when we feed our flesh, we're, and we're doing things that are uh, fostering these old sinful desires, and we're getting angry quickly, and we get jealous over something that somebody else has, or, or we let our heart be filled with pride, or we lie, or we gossip, or we sleep with our boyfriend, or we swear like a sailor, or we fill in the blank. And when we give into these temptations and dwell on our sinful thoughts and spend time with people or places that celebrate sin and a hate for God, here's the problem. When you feed your flesh, this is what happens. That sucker grows. You know what happens when he grows? He starts pushing you around. Some of you have been pushed around by a secret Darth Vader for years and years and years. And we're miserable. And our testimony is hurt. And God's not happy. I read it. It was on the screen a minute ago. I, I messed up when I put these up here. But I read a, I didn't read a word that was on the screen a minute ago. Did any of y'all notice that? Were you watching the Bible? What word did I leave out? What's that? adulteresses. I, 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 I hope you don't miss this point. See, I, here's what I believe about the Bible. You need to know this. I believe the Bible is God's Word, and I don't believe that it was given to us randomly. I believe that God superintended the process of it coming. It was through man. It was through their context. It was through their personality. But God said, this is what I want my people to have. This is what I want them to know about me. And he intentionally put a word in there to describe what's going on when we're feeding the flesh. He said adulteresses. And you might say, oh, well, he's not talking about Christian people. You read the book of James. James is an amazing book. From the very beginning, he talks about to the brothers who are scattered in the dispersion throughout the world. Every chapter, my brothers, my brothers, 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 brethren, family, brothers, Every chapter is brothers, but when he gets to chapter 4 and he starts thinking about people who are living like they don't love God, he says, you adulteresses. Now here's his point. 
a believer's life that's not changing is like a person who's having an affair. When you glorify things that are against God, it's like you're talking to somebody else. If your speech is not changing, it's like you're getting emotionally attached. If you're not trying to conform your emotions to Jesus, it's like you're sharing your bed with another. If you're not in the Word, but you're always on your computer, it's like you're not even coming home at night. If there's no growth in your spiritual life and you say you're a Christian at best, it's like you're cheating. Through the years, I hate him talking about this, but through the years, the hardest thing a pastor has to do, I think, is to sit with people. Well, besides the grief of a family that loves a child, but the second hardest thing is sitting with two people. And it might even be just, it's, it's, it's tough. Sitting with two people who one of them's been unfaithful and they're sitting in your office. And one of them has got their head down in shame and the other one's just sitting there with confusion and bewilderment and just frustration and anger. And you're sitting there listening to this. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it is, it is heartbreaking. And all kinds of emotions. I mean, y'all, y'all, some of you have experienced and you've been there. You know, it, all kinds of emotions go through this type of situation. And God feels the exact same emotions. I, I want you to catch that. God feels those same emotions. You say, how do you know that? I read the Bible. Listen to what it says in the very next verse. He says, do you suppose it is to no purpose? Do you think that the Scripture just said it willy-nilly? That the spirit that he placed in you yearns jealously? You act like you love the world more than you act like you love God, and God says, I hate that. That Superman who wants to blossom and flower and give you a better life and give you peace and joy and comfort that guy that, that, that he wants to, to develop in you, he yearns so jealously because he looks at your life and says, it could be so, so much better. But you're stepping out on me. And I thought to myself when I'm sitting there listening, if my wife had done what this guy's wife had done, would I forgive and stay together? Or... If I had done what this guy has done, would I, my wife, stay with me? And I'll be honest, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not condemning. I hope in my heart that I could. I hope it never happens on either part. But I hope that I would have the strength to somehow say, I will love you like Jesus loves me. But I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, that's as honest as I can really be. I don't know if I'd stay with my wife. I don't know if that happened. And I don't know if my wife would stay with me. But I know about God. Listen to what the very next phrase says. Put this together. He gives more grace. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we are fallen. We struggle. We give in to the Darth Vader way too often. We're stuck in the process. We haven't moved forward. And yet, instead of saying, you adulteresses, out with you, he says, I still love you. He gives greater grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. 
His grace is greater than your sin, even the sin since you were saved. And that is a hallelujah for me. Because if I were condemned because of what I've done since I've been a believer, I would still go to hell. Because I've not earned it since. My going to heaven is purely on His grace. My being right with Him is purely on His grace. I wish I could say, He picked me up and I walked the straight and narrow my entire life and I've never messed up. But sometimes that old guy shows up. But James's message is not to beat you up. And I was sitting there thinking, I thought we were going to have fun today, but I feel like I'm beating you up. <laughs> Kick you while you're down. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 James's message is to say, you can beat this. You can grow. But how do you beat Darth Vader? I mean, you know, I mean, he's in that ball thing that you've got to hit the little bitty thing to blow it up. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you beat <laughs> One Star Wars fan got that. How do you beat Darth Vader? You know? I mean, how do you, how do you beat this enemy? And, and the Bible tells us. Well, here's what you do. You starve that sucker. If you feed your flesh, the flesh will dominate you. If you feed your spirit, your flesh will starve. He won't disappear but he will not have that same type of overwhelming, ominous, pushing around, dominating your life presence. Now let's real quickly start wrapping this up. James, four, In the rest of James, he gives us some things we can do. He, here's what you do. Okay, you're struggling, submit yourself to God. God, every aspect of my life is yours. What I do on the computer is yours, God. How I treat my wife is yours, God. How I... Uh, relate to my husband is yours, God. How I parent my kids, that's yours. How I raise my kids in comparison to their peers, that's yours too, God. How I handle myself at work, even when my boss is not watching, that's yours, God. Every bit of me is yours. And see, here's step one. Desire the lordship of Jesus in all of your life. In all of your life, say, God, it's yours. Here it is. You want the flesh to stop dominating you, you've got to start saying, okay, God, you can change every bit of me. I'm not just looking for the Sunday change, make my bank account, okay, God, I put in my time, you do your thing relationship. I'm looking for you change me to be what I'm made, made to be into the image of Jesus. Next verse. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. At some point, we just got to stand up and we got to fight. We've got to believe that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We've got to believe that Superman beats Darth Vader. We've got to believe that it just works that way, that the spirit is more powerful than the flesh. I, I believe that. I believe that the God who raised Jesus from the dead bodily, I believe that the God who is going to take me to heaven when I die can give me victory now. You know? And so, so what I would tell you is resist the devil. So in your area of failure, say, God, I believe you are able to overcome this. This is not more powerful than you. And that's a faith issue, guys. That's just nothing but a faith issue. Is God's Spirit more powerful than what you struggle with? I can't have faith for you. But I know what I believe about that answer.
Next verse. You can't create a vacuum, right? You've got to draw near to God. You know, because if we just said, I'm not going to think, let's try this. Everybody here, we're going to do an exercise. I've got like three minutes and I'm going to close shop. But everybody try this. I want you just for a second not to think about an orange. Ready, go. Don't think about it. You know, I, I believe in a vacuum theory that, that whenever we l- try to not do something, unless we replace, you know, if we leave this vacuum, this void in our life, that we're going to constantly get sucked back into the thing that we don't want to do. So if we want to see change, then I believe we've got to resist in that area of failure, but we draw near to God. We replace one thing that the, this monster says is a treasure with something that God says is a much more beautiful treasure. Draw near to God. Develop your relationship with Jesus. And then finally today, I would encourage you to... That's not the final point. I'm sorry. Repent of your unfaithfulness. That's pretty good too. No, no, no. Stick with that. Let's go back to that. I don't want to shortchange you what the scripture says because I just forgot something. But let's go back here. No, number four. C. There we go. Repent of your unfaithfulness. And, and listen, now this is important. I, I left out a verse, didn't I? You're, you're a Baptist. Remember, you're supposed to read this stuff because this is the counsel of the Word of God. He says in verse 8, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And then, I know why I left it out now. I don't like it sometimes. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then listen to the next verse. Be wretched and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And I want to stop for just a second there. Uh, do we finish at 10 in here? Or when I get done? Yeah. Well, we got something after me and after invitation, but it's not much. But uh, I want to tell you a story about something that happened this week. My daughter did something really dumb. My 13-year-old just turned 14. She did something dumb this week. She's the big heart. She is the one who would give everything she has away. She's the one who protects the innocent and does. She, she is. My other one, I could have seen her doing this. But I couldn't have. But, but she did something bad. A kid kind of pushed her around, and so that kid said something ugly about an authority figure, and she took a picture of it that she got a hold of, and she sent it to the authority figure, her coach, their teammates, and she ratted out her friend because she's mad and the friend got reamed by the coach reamed by the coach and her mom calls me and says did your daughter do this take a picture of a snap or of a snapchat and send it to the coach and i said my daughter would never do that my daughter would never do that not this one anyway <laughs> And we had been talking about it the night before. We said she shouldn't have been talking like that about the coach. But you know, when you're teammates, you really don't you don't do that. You're bonded, bro- you know. And my daughter said, "Yeah, that's bad." So when the parent calls me the next morning, I say, "There's no way." <sighs> Later that afternoon, my daughter kind of broke down, and she said, "Dad, I was just mad, and one of my friends told me we ought to do it." And she really likes to be liked. And when her other friend said we ought to do this, she saw an opportunity to 
make herself look better by hurting somebody else? And she sent it. Well, needless to say, we spent the afternoon going to apologize to the coach, going to apologize to that player, to their parents, and I made her stand up in front of her entire team, all 30 of them, and tell what she had done and how wrong she was. You understand where I'm going. She was weeping and mourning (laughs) over having to do this. I made her do it. Do you think she might have learned a lesson? Dad had to go eat crow too. Dad had to go say, I'm so sorry. I'm a crazy dad who believes his kids always do the right thing. I, I know better. I'm sorry. It was good for her to weep a little bit. If you've been in sin, it is okay if God lets you weep a little bit. She's still weeping because her phone's mine for a couple weeks. (laughs) I'm going to let her weep for a little bit. (laughs) But you know what I found? When she went and told people, you know what happened? This girl that was broken, I had to get her out of school. She told me what was going on. Guilt was just getting her. I had to get her out of school and deal with it. This girl who was broken so bad, I can't, I'm moving schools, I'm quitting volleyball, I'm done with that life, you know. This girl who was so broken, all of a sudden, started experiencing joy. And that, let's, let's wrap up right here. Last point is trust God to change you. And then this, here's the last verse, last slide. When you humble yourself before the Lord, he'll lift you up. That daughter who doesn't have her phone was a little sad about her phone, but she was a happy camper yesterday. It's Friday when all this went down. Yesterday, after she had apologized, after she had done, after she had started doing it the Spirit's way, started feeling the relief of living in the Spirit. It's a much better place to live. Beautiful. Humble yourself before God, and He'll lift you up. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power that works and lives within us. Thank you, God, for the process that you started in our life when we got saved. Thank you, God, that you don't quit on us when we act like we've quit on you. God, I I pray now, Lord, as we have this time of decision that you would use this to bring people farther along in the process. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to resist the devil. Lord, if we've messed up, Lord, break our hearts, Lord. Lord, help us not to to always get off the hook when we sin because, Lord, I know in my life when I always get off the hook and and nobody, it's never exposed, Lord, I, I have a tendency to think that it doesn't hurt me. And yet, God, I know that it causes you to grieve and and it robs me of joy and it causes fightings and wars among me and among my brothers. God, I pray that you would speak now at this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you want to respond to the message in some way, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. You're welcome to do that. Maybe you're here and you don't know if you've started the process with Jesus or not and you're just not sure. I'd love to talk to you about that today. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to know information about joining this church. Or or maybe today you just want to come and 
in, in each week, the elements of, of the Lord's Supper are provided for you to just individually reflect and say, thank you, Lord, that in spite of my unfaithfulness, you've been faithful uh, and you, you give greater grace. Uh, maybe today, the, uh, uh, just where you are privately, at your seat, you just want to make a commitment. God, this area of my life that I've let go for too long, it's yours, Lord. Uh, we're going to stand together and sing right now. If God speaks to you, I encourage you to come.